this morning, I want to talk to you about the story of Job. A book in the Bible, not Job. Some people don't know if that's called Job or Job. But he was actually a person in the Bible. And he is one of the people I thought I would probably never, ever do a message on. I don't know if anybody saw the Facebook post this week and I put on there, I'm doing a message this Sunday on someone that I thought I would probably never, ever do. And I'll tell you why. I don't know if you guys saw it or if you guessed who it was. But when I've traveled for different organizations for church and you get on the airplane and then somebody sits down beside you, what do you do? It's like, oh, what do I say? What do I say? I'm in sales. I'm in, you know, whatever you want to say. But usually it'll come around that I'm a minister and I'm traveling. And when people are upset with God or they don't understand, one of the number one questions that they want to just throw up in your face, like, I gotcha, is what about Job? How about that guy Job? You know, God took all this stuff from him and God hurt him and God did all this stuff to him. What about that guy? It's like, I'm on an airplane ride. I don't have time to really go into the whole thing and explain, but everybody wants to talk about Job that aren't in the church. I was on the sidewalk at Christ for the Nations, right by um, the cafeteria uh, when I was a student, and there's this homeless guy out there, and I'm trying to minister to him, and you know, I gave him my last 20 bucks, and you know, then he just wanted to argue with me about everything in the world. And guess what he wanted to talk about? Job. I'm like, oh, I'm so tired of Job. I never want to hear anybody talk about Job. When people are going through difficulties in their life, they're like, well, what about Job? So the last person I want to talk about is who we're talking about this morning. So what about Job? So we're going to kind of see the story, and I've got a whole bunch of scriptures we're going to go through. I'm super duper fast. But I encourage you, even as I was preparing this message, to read through the book of Job, because it's, it's this crazy, crazy story. We're just going to hit a few key points really, really fast, and Michael's going to do a really good job of keeping up with me. Job 1, 1. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Verse 3, he also had many servants. In fact, he was the richest person in the entire area. So here he is. He's obeying God. He's doing everything that God says. He's full of integrity. And God, as a result, has made him the richest guy in the whole area. How many of you know when there's somebody super rich around there, everybody knows who they are and they want to be their friend? Okay, So that's Job. That's who he is. Verse 6, one day, all the members of the heavenly court were getting an insight of what happens in heaven. There's just a few places in the Bible we see really what goes on in heaven. This is one of them. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. Then the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. I just want to tell you, he has not stopped that. He's still patrolling the whole earth, and he's still trying to see everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? Now, I do not want that conversation with God to come up. I don't want him to say, Hey, have you seen my servant Kevin? It's like, No, don't even tell him anything about me. Just leave me alone. That's, but here he is. Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity, and he fears God and stays away from evil. Satan said, replied, yes, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Now, stop right there. Isn't that an amazing testimony from the devil? 
He says, you have put a wall of protection around him. I want you to know we still have a wall of protection around us. And his home and his property, that's still for us. That's for me today. And you've made him to prosper in everything he does. That's also for us today. Sorry, getting all excited about this. Verse 11. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. This is what the devil said to God. All right, you may test him, the Lord said. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him physically. Okay, notice physically. There. I should have made that in yellow. So Satan left the Lord's presence. And then he goes on and he causes all these things. All of his cattle died. All these bad things happened to him. Again, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter. There's a whole bunch of chapters here. And we'd be here all morning just going through the story. You can read it at home and I encourage you to do that. But all of his cattle died. So a lot of his wealth income, all of the things that are causing him to be prosperous, they all start going downhill. Like at a night, there was this huge storm and lightning bolts came from heaven. And all these things, and he, he was wiped out. In verse 20, we see that Job stood up and tore his robe in grief when they gave him the account of everything that happened. Then he shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground and worshipped. He fell to the ground and worshipped. So when all this calamity comes to him, let me show you an insight of a man of integrity, of one that God says, that's the great guy that I'm watching over. He when all this stuff happened to him, he went through the, the normal things of being griefed and just pulling this out. But then he fell to his ground, to the ground, and worshiped God. Verse 22 In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. He continues on. In chapter 2, verse 1, One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come, the Lord asked again. And Satan said, I've been patrolling the earth and watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? And, and he, he's doing this whole thing, and, and he's maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without a cause. He's like, look, he's still living the right way. He's still doing all the right things, even though you challenged me to allow you to do this. Verse 4, Satan replied, skin for skin, a man will give up everything to save his own life. So the first round, he had all of his stuff attacked. Okay, so if he was living then, the IRS would have been knocking on his door, all right? They would have been like, we're going to audit you for the last 20 years. We're going to do all these things, and we're going to strip you from everything. So he lost all of his physical protection, his possessions, and and all these things that caused him to have wealth in the world. And he didn't curse God. So then Satan says, yeah, but yeah, if I I could have him. Because the first time he says, don't touch him physically. He goes, yeah, but if you'll just let me go after him, he, a man, will give up everything to save his own life. But reach out and take away his health, and surely then he will curse you to your face. All right, do as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So the first time he says, don't touch him physically. Now he says, okay, you can touch him physically, but you can't take his life. So then Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from his head to his foot. Uh, That's just miserable. But look who struck him with that. Satan struck him with the terrible boils. All of this calamity came upon him. Verse 8, Job is scraping his skin. I'm sorry, this is gross. 
he's scraping his skin with a piece of broken pottery, just like, oh, have you ever been in such agony that you just like have to have something to scratch you? Like, ah, oh, I need a little bit of relief to scratch this thing. And his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Now that's a wife for you, isn't it? But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. I can't you imagine she's like scratching, like I've had enough. And then here she says, it's like you're speaking like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Job's friends now come to comfort him. In verse 13, it says, No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Now, everything that he's got going on in his life is so bad that when his friends came to kind of give him, like, he's like in the hospital kind of thing, and all of his friends come there looking at him like, I don't even know what to say. I mean, can, can you get the picture of what's going on in Job's life? How terrible this thing is for him. Job then loses it in chapter 3. Man, I'm telling you, I, I don't know how any of us would fare in these situations. Chapter 3, he just absolutely loses it. And he goes on to say, and again, I encourage you to read it all, but just jumping down to Job 3.25, what I've always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. And I want to suggest to you, before that, he, he lost his confession. And, and I didn't want to, again, uh, we could be here for three hours reading every word for word, and this is a great thing for you to go home and topically study on your own. But it, did you see all the points that we we're showing before? He never changed what he said. His wife is coming against him. He said, woman, what are you speaking? These foolish words. It's all words. It's words. It's words. And now he loses it and he, he throws the words out there. And then he says, what I feared has happened to me. There's another translation that says, what I feared the most has happened to me and what I dreaded has come true. He lost his confession with all the attacks that are coming into it. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest and only trouble comes. Can I just tell you that even in early morning prayer yesterday and the last several weeks when we're here from 8 to 9, it's a great time. You're more welcome to come and join us. No compulsion to be here. But we hear so many prayer requests. People are still saying, I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble. It seems like there's nothing but bad things that are happening to me. We're not unlike Job. You see, here's the problem. His confession changed to saying all these things versus what really was in fact happening. It's all true. He didn't have peace. He said they've got a piece of pottery scratching himself. All right, He's in pretty bad shape. Chapter 4, verse 2. Job says, Will you be patient and let me just say a word? For who could keep me from speaking out? I'm sorry, this is his friend speaking. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me frame this right. His friends now speaking to him, telling him, Who could keep me from speaking out? In the past, you, Job, have encouraged many people. You have strengthened those who are weak. Your words have supported those who are 
falling, and you've encouraged those with shaky knees. Now when trouble strikes your heart, you are terrified when it touches you? Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Isn't it awesome that his friends that were close to him, and they, some of them give him bad counsel in a minute, we'll see that. But even in that, that this is the story of Job's life. He led a life of such integrity that his friends are now giving him his same words back and saying, man, don't lose it. But here's the thing. As his true friends, as you read through all the chapters of the friends going back and forth, and they talk, and then he talks, and they talk, and he talks, and they're just going back and forth in the struggle, and he's in agony. They didn't know what to say at first, and then they're trying with whatever words they have, and they're just giving him. They're walking in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like we looked at last week, instead of actually saying, God, what what is it you want me to say to Job? What is it that I could say that will encourage him where he's at? He's still frustrated. In chapter 16, verse 1, Job spoke again. I've heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? I mean, I actually know people that would say that. You know, when you're sitting there trying to talk to them and saying, well, God loves you. And what miserable comfort. I've heard all that before. Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? Did you know that was in the Bible? What makes you keep on talking? Like, shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. Can I tell you, there are people in our lives, around us, that this is their view about Christians. This is their their view on church. Just shut up. Leave me in my agony. I could say the same things, verse 4, if I were in your place, if you were in my place. Then his friend in 18.1 said to him, how long will you, before you stop talking? He's like, man, don't you see your mouth is what's getting you into all this trouble? See, when all these troubles was coming on him and he kept his mouth shut, everything was, says he didn't lose it. He didn't curse God. He didn't fall down. He didn't lose his integrity and more stuff came against him and then his, he lost it by his mouth. Not by all the stuff happening to him. By his mouth. And now his friends are like, how long before you stop talking? At this point, Job has lost it all. You see, we've skipped through a bunch of chapters. Now we're in 18. He's even lost his family. His wife left him. His children left him. His friends have left him. He's gone through a whole bunch of stuff. And I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people that are going through difficult times. And I'm trying to tell them what God says and what the Bible says about their situation. And they're just so caught up with the grief and everything that's going on in them. They're like, can you just stop talking? Because I've heard all this before. And yet they're still in a bad place. James, in the Bible... The New Testament, of course. This is what we're reading for this month as a church through the whole book of James. Not that many chapters. But we're going to look at some of the things that the book of James says. James 1, chapter 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. Now, here he's saying... This was in the Old Testament with Job. And now in the New Testament, he's like, hey, don't get upset when a trial comes your way. 
It's producing endurance inside of you. Let it have its perfect result. Let it work out everything it needs to have worked out so that you may be perfect or complete, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there's nothing lacking in what's going on in your life. God's doing a work in what is going on in your life. Don't get hung up on the stuff that's happening to you. Chapter 3, verse 2, still in James. Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect already and could control ourselves in every other way. If I can control my tongue, I can control every other way in my life. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in his mouth. I was watching the Kentucky Derby yesterday when I was eating lunch. And it's so funny to see all those horses out there. Man, they're trying really hard. But these just ginormous, like world-class horses are out there worth more than anything I'll probably make in my entire life those horses are worth. And they're out there, but they're moved by this little bitty bit. And that rider, that jockey's up there, he's moving that horse. Even a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Look at this. Even though the winds are strong. Can I suggest to you that even when we have winds that are blowing in our life, that are strong, that we're still the pilot, and we choose where we're going to turn by our tongue. The power of the tongue is so amazing, even when the winds of your life are strong. James 5 continues on, verse 16. Confess with your tongue. Uh, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, there's two parts of this. One is confessing your sins. We confess our sins to God, but then we also need to tell it to someone that's flesh and blood. We can't just say, well, I'm just going to pray in my closet and tell God I sinned. He knows you sinned. There's no, there's no revelation that going, oh, you did that? You thought that? Oh, my gosh. I'm God. Oh my. Oh me. He, he knows all that. But it's when we confess to one another that we may be healed. That's the purpose of small groups that are going to be starting very, very soon. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has a great power and produce wonderful results. Who's that earnest prayer? Confessing your sins with one another and pray for each other. Pray for each other. Earnest prayer produces great results. You see what we're doing here? That's the key to it all. But where does it come from? It comes from our tongue. There's an article that a guy by the name of Habib, I can't say his last name. He wrote this article. And I want to tell you just some things, even in the natural. This isn't from the Bible. This is natural research that has been taken over. It says, some of us are in the habit of using the same negative words over and over again out of habit. The problem is that the more we hear, read, or speak a word or phrase, the more power it has over us. Think about Job. This is because our brain uses repetition to learn. Searching for patterns and consistencies is a way to make sense in the world around us. Only after being burned a few times can we understand that fire is always hot. There are throwaway words that we have. How many times a day do we throw our words away? We say, this is still the article that he wrote. We say things like, I hate my hair. I don't say that very often. I'm stupid. 
I'm so stupid. I'm such a klutz. We never think that these words bring negative energy into our vibration or affect us on a physical level, but they do. A researcher, Emoto's experiments were conducted with water. He did a water situation where he had people go and speak over water, kids, and he put a tag on there what they're going to say to these bottles of water and what they're saying to these. This are affirmation, these are bad things. At the end, he put those in the freezer and they froze. And the ones that had negative words spoken over to the crystals were all just all contorted and just all messed up. And the ones that were spoken words of affirmation like you're loved, you're beautiful, just to a water bottle. Okay, come on. That's just crazy. That sounds all like, okay. But those crystals, when they were frozen, were perfectly formed and everything was great. So even in that, we see the, the differences of what the power of our tongue will have. So he's talking about that. I didn't want to take the time to dig down into that whole thing. So that's the, the, the thumbnail sketch of that. It says, even his experiments were conducted with water. Why? Because sound vibration travels through water four times faster than it does through open air. Consider the fact that your body is 70% water, and you'll understand how quickly the vibration of a negative word resonates in your soul. Ancient scripture, this writer says, tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And it turns out that's not a metaphor. Matthew 12 says, And this I tell you, you will give an account on a judgment day for every idle word you say. Every idle word that you say, I hate my hair, I hate this. You're going to give an account for that because it changes your life. Another article really quick. From Peggy Burt in September 2008, she wrote, Studies conducted by Dr. John somebody, of the University of Chicago has shown what he calls the negative bias of our brain. Our brains are actually more sensitive and responsive responsive to unpleasant news. That's why personal insults or criticism hit us more harder and stay with us longer. It's why negative ads are more effective than positive ads, politically or otherwise. It's a numbers game. Not only do we have a built-in partiality towards negative information, but negative Negatives create disproportionately over positives. There's more, a negative will affect affect your life way more. In other words, one positive cannot offset a negative. So it's not one-to-one. When you tell your husband, thanks for giving the kids a bath, honey, and five minutes later you say, you forgot to take out the trash. Again, the negative drowns out the positive, even though it's a one-to-one. It's not the same. Our brains need a higher number of positive entries to counterbalance this built-in negative bias. I know I'm giving you a whole lot of words here. Please try and stay with me and, and listen to the whole thing. And several small, frequent positive acts pack more punch than one giant size positivity. That's why a man throwing his wife an expensive birthday party at a fine restaurant can't make up for this daily negative behavior and remarks. A wife's present to her husband of a new riding mower he has had his eye on won't compensate for her continually nagging and critical comments. One supersized positive cannot offset several multiple negatives. I had a friend, Russ Lee, that wrote on Facebook this week. Um, as I'm preparing this, it's kind of funny that popped out. He said, Lord, save me from the flaws in my character that fuels the sin of my tongue. That just cracked me up quite a bit. Um, and this guy, Moto, he did another experiment. Um, this is also from that same article. He tested the power, 
power of spoken words. He placed two cups of cooked white rice in two separate mason jars and fixed the lids in place. So he put this cooked white rice in a mason jar where you can see through it, and he just closed the lid, okay? Got it all tightened down. So he's not, they're both got the same air from the same place, okay? So everything's equal on that. And then he affixed lids on the place, labeling one jar, thank you, and the other, you fool. The jars were left in an elementary school classroom, and the students were instructed to speak the words on the label to the corresponding jars twice a day. After 30 days, the rice in the jar that was constantly insulted had shriveled into a black, gelatous mass. The rice in the jar that had thank you written on it was white and fluffy as the day it was made. This is a dramatic example of the power of words. I challenge you, write this down and go to Psalms 121. We're not going to look at it, but look at Psalms 121. And I challenge you to speak it out loud over yourself and just read the power that we can say with positive words. Another friend wrote this week, if you're moved by compliments, you'll be destroyed by criticism. We can't allow other people's words to really affect us, but it is something we have to keep in mind. Can I suggest to you that influence equals relationships? Influence can be used for good to encourage one another. We need to take time to encourage one person each day. So before you go to bed every day, I encourage you to look back on your day and say, did I take time to encourage somebody. And it doesn't have to be anything great. It can be just a text. Hey, I'm praying for you. I thought about you today. Hey, I hope you had a good day today. Hey, I'm praying for you tomorrow. If there's anything you need, let me know. Just something so simple, just the simplest of things can change somebody's life. Look for something good to compliment those that are in your garden. We've talked about this in the past, how we have all have our gardens. I've got two places that are my gardens that I'm working on, and I'm cultivating the relationships that are in those places. But now to bring this all back home, James continues where he's talking about the power of the tongue. He talks about the power of this huge ship that's moved by this small rudder. He continues on and he goes, now consider the end of Job. James 5, 11, he says, we count those blessed who have endured. Now you've heard of the endurance of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion. He says, consider Job. Consider the end of Job. We don't consider the beginning of the game, the middle of the game, the beginning or middle of anything is what the final outcome is, right? We have to look. How many nail-biter sporting events have there been that is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's like, if we'd have thought from the beginning of what was going on, how this was going to work out, it did not work that way. God turned it all around for Job. And he even told the friends that were there that gave him bad counsel You have to go now and ask Job to forgive you. And bad things are going to start happening to you if you don't. In verse 42 of Job, or chapter 42 of Job 10, it says, When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. Okay, I want to break this down. We did everything to get here. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his, Job's, fortune. Job lost everything. 
But he could have been really upset at everybody. He could have stayed upset with God. He came to a place that he repented with God. Again, go read the whole thing. It's an amazing story. But when he prayed for his friends, when he stepped outside of himself, that means he still was missing all of his fortunes. He still was facing physical calamities. He was still in a really bad place. But when he prayed for them, then the Lord restored him. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. The best person, can I suggest to you, to pray for you, is someone who's been through what you're going through. The best person you can be for someone else is to pray and be there for someone who's going through what you've been through. Verse 11, then all of his his brothers, this is Job, his brothers, his sisters, his former friends, they came back and feasted with him at home. And they all consoled him and comforted him because of the trials that he had gone through. And they all brought him a gold, a, a gift and of money and a gold ring. Now that is the kind of house party I want to have, all right? I want to have everybody come over and we're going to eat and we're going to chow down on some brisket that Mr. Bruce made. And then everybody's going to bring me a gift of money and a gold ring. I'm just telling you that's a God thing. So cell group next week at Bruce and Cece's house or in two weeks. I mean, I'm, 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 I don't know. So I'm just joking. And the Lord blessed Job, it says in verse 12. And the second half of his life was more, even more, than in the beginning. And again, when you read through all the different things, it gave the number of everything he had, and he had, he had twice as much. Ending with this, verse 16. Job lived 140 years after that. You can't judge Job by the things that happened in the beginning. He lived four generations of his children and grandchildren. The next verse says, And then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. Will you bow your heads with me? God enlarged Job to twice as much as what he lost. But here we see the power of his tongue. That Job really started having difficulty when he allowed all the external pressures to start coming out through his tongue, through his mouth. As long as he didn't lose it with his tongue, the pressures were still there, but he was still in right standing with God. There are people in each of our lives that are crying out to be loved. And you're the best person to pray for them. We saw in James, he even says, consider Job. Look at how it turned out for Job. But Job prayed for his friends. James said, if you, you pray, God's going to do something. Speak your mouth. Use your tongue for good to say, confessing your sins and asking someone to pray for you. And that's what we want to do here at Church on the Rock. We want to be here to pray for one another. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this service. thank you for our time. Lord, I thank you for this example that we have of Job, a, a peek into heaven and what happened and what happens in heaven. Lord, thank you for letting us visit this whole 
concept and this whole process that you have of us controlling our tongues, regardless of what comes against us, all the different attacks that can come against our stuff or against our health, that we can control the outcome by our mouth, by our tongue. We can turn our whole lives around by what we say. Lord, I thank you for what you did with Job in the end and how you turned it all around and you gave him twice as much stuff back. And Lord, I'm asking for all the things of people that are here, that are in the sound of my voice, that are facing difficulties, loss, physical attacks, material attacks, people that have left them, relationships that have been destroyed, And Lord, that we will keep our mouth, our confessions the right way. That we'll look at this and see how Job could have had a different outcome earlier. But Lord, even when he turned and repented, that you changed everything. Father, I pray that we're a church and we're a people. That I am a person who watches what I say. And I choose to pray for people and help them through situations that I've been. We give all this to you. In Jesus' name we pray.